Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is Marine veteran Robert Graves. Robert overdosed while experiencing drugs prior to the military, which helped set him on the right path. He had no thoughts of going to war, but September 11th, 2001 would change that. He talks about watching banana shows in Okinawa, going to jail for crimes he didn't commit, and fighting for his reputation. Robert has become a huge advocate for veterans and wrote a book called How to Grow a Beard, which is a military transition guide back into civilian life. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at TV, or you can email us at team at urbanvalor.com. Enjoy the show. Here we go. We're rolling. What's up, Robert? What's up? Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Let's just uh, jump into it, man. Why don't you uh, tell us your name? Uh, branch of service, the, you, the years you served, and the job you did. Yeah. Robert Graves, 10-year Marine Corps veteran, served from September 11th, 2000 to February 2010. Um, I, uh, I did 10 months in Afghanistan, Kandahar, uh, and then hopped all over the world from Guam to Okinawa, uh, Thailand, Philippines, 29 palms. Yeah, 29 stumps, huh? <laughs> um, right on, man. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, where were you born, what, what your upbringing was like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, raised everywhere else. Um, people like to ask if I was an uh, army brat. I tell them Papa was a Rolling Stone, right? <laughs> Wherever he laid his hat. That was where home was. So nice. uh, I grew up in Dallas, Houston, Nevada, all up and down California, um, but mostly back and forth to Birmingham um, and, and L.A. And uh, when I stayed in L.A., I was with my mother when I was in when she got tired of raising a, a boy. Right. As a single mother, she'd send me to my father. And so um, it was a different dynamic. Right. My father was very kids are to be seen, not heard kind of dude. Uh, and, uh, he would whoop up on my mom and, uh, at the age of four years old, mom took me and split. And, and that was kind of just how I was raised between two parents, two different worlds. Um, and, uh, you know, parents did the best with what they had to to give at with what they knew how to do. And, you know, that, that's the adult me talking now, but, you know, um, I was, got into my bad habits of drugs and, you know, doing bad things with, with my friends. And, um, it led to just the Marine Corps and, um, you know, and, and the life that, you know, led after that. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what, how'd you get involved in drugs? So <laughs> it was almost so simple, right? Uh, you know, growing up, growing up in the eighties, especially, um, you know, drugs were around and so they were a social thing and, and 
I hadn't, you know, the dare, don't do drugs, and this is your brain on drugs. Those commercials, they got me in for a long time. For a long time, I didn't touch any of that stuff. And then um, I got into weed about 14, maybe 15. But then around 17, a friend of mine, uh, I walked into his room, and they were smoking speed. And uh, and he's like, hey, don't do this. You're going to like it. And uh, And I did it, and I liked it. And for about a year, um, it was it was rough, you know. Uh, uh, relationships were ruined. Uh, body, uh, mind, you know. Um, How old were you? I was seventeen, man. Um, a junior in high school, <clears throat> and uh, and so navigating this world, especially, you know, I had a girlfriend and a job, and I was selling this. I sold my saxophone that my dad bought for me, which was like the only last thing I had uh, after he'd passed away uh, that, you know, has any significant value to him. I was in a bad spot, man. Um, and I, I broke a lot of trust with a lot of people, uh, my mother, you know. Um, and But, you know, it was it was a good spot for me, too, because this was a moment where I really learned um, about how faith would kind of guide me through my life because um this is the moment that nobody can ever tell me that there's never there's not a god um selena was on right the right. one with jennifer lopez mm -hmm. and i'd seen it a thousand times and you know fantastic movie but i didn't want to watch it stood up to go change it od right and leading up to that i had been what they call scavenging which is just like trying to get the last bit of whatever's left and my buddies are up on the, the 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 bunk beds dead asleep and I'm here tweaking and this movie comes on boom down and when I wake up thankfully I wake up just sloth and you know foam and I said dear lord help me get off of this and no more than like six hours later, maybe even three, my buddy's getting this, you know, tattoo that he still has. And, uh, and I get this page on my beeper from my mother, 911. And I call her, get home right now. And, uh, and what happened was my best friend's mother had gone through, uh, his, his drawer and decided that she was going to actually, do his laundry one day, found his stash, called my mother, and my prayer had been answered. That day was the last day I'd ever touched those drugs. Wow. And uh, and it was a very powerful day for me to understand that, you know, one, prayer is, prayer is real, and then two, that I have something to give to this world because that was a very important change in my life. Yeah. Man. Um, so what... what uh what happened? How did your life change after that? What did you, what kind of things you start to do? Well, you know, um, senior year came around and I thought I was going to get a volleyball scholarship. Uh, you know, I wasn't brilliant in geometry or anything. Uh, like I'm six, six, right? right? Big black dude. I thought that like my way out to a college was through, through sports. And so, uh, I ended up tearing my ligaments in my ankle. Um, and then I had no options, right? To me, I, who am I? I'm just this random kid at Culver City High School, have no options. Uh, I didn't want to go to um, Santa Monica Community College, 13th grade. So my friend had just joined the Marine Corps the year prior. 
And uh, my mom and I were at TIFFs with each other. She's raising a 17-year-old boy. You know, there is no father to to send to now because he's passed away. And so, like, you know, we're at we're at this binding moment where, you know, I'm too big for this house. She's like, you need to just go to the Marine Corps, like your friend Chris. And I was like, I'm not joining the Marine Corps. And sure enough, man, that uh, 1999... Um, Christmas or uh, New Year's Eve, my mom's in there signing the dotted line for a 17 year old kid to join the service. And, uh, and so senior year passed and, um, you know, I ended up, uh, I I stepped on the yellow footprints, September 11th, 2000. Um, and then, um, got processed through and, and a whole year later I was in 29 Palms when when the towers fell. Um, and then, you know, as I'm going through MCCS or MCSS, Marine Corps Electronical Systems, studying to be a, a radar technician, right, or a radar repairman at the time, um, we're going through the fundamentals of um, electronic systems and troubleshooting uh, breadboards and all that nerdy stuff, right? Um, because my ASVAB score is like in the 90s, I'm a brainiac. I like to take, I, I was the kid that liked to take toasters apart and figure out how right. stuff worked, right? So it just translated well until so I can fix radars. Who knew? So um, I'm learning that process, and then September 11th happens, all right? We wake up, we're in the barracks, and uh, we're, I mean, it's early. We're uh, going to the schoolhouse, and we're sitting there, jovial, right? Weird word to use, but. Um, Staff Sergeant Morris comes in, wheels in this TV, bunny ears on it. We're like, oh, we're going to watch TV, Staff Sergeant. Sit down and shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was serious. Like, right. okay, sit down. He turns it on and we're watching like the first tower already you know, smoldering. And then, pop, boom. I was like, shit, we're going to war. And I look around, I was like, we're going to fucking war. Right. And like this, just, I was in a time of peace. I knew I, look, when I enlisted, I had no fucking idea that I would ever be in a wartime situation. And I don't even think that like, I don't, it never crossed my mind. It wasn't like I was scared of it or anything. It just never crossed my mind. Oh, military guys go to war. Right. And, uh, so you know, at this moment, we're watching this, the whole base changes, right? You've got, you know, guardrails up everywhere. You know, you can't get through the fucking PX in, in a 30-minute span. Everybody's checking. I, I mean, the world went to chaos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so in the schoolhouse, you get three options. Your wish list, where do you want to go? And I said, who's going to Afghanistan? And they said, Max 4, Okinawa. I said, that's all three of my wish. Okinawa, Okinawa, Okinawa. And uh, it's funny because here I am as going on a 40-year-old man. And uh, just probably four to six months ago, I was just having this conversation with myself and maybe one other. Like, what the fuck was I thinking, right? Like, I was 18, 19-year-old kid at that point, And I'm like, yeah, put me right in it. Right. Right. It's crazy, man. It's crazy to think about that. Um, so where'd you end up? Where, where'd you end up going? 
so <clears throat> we went to uh, we went to Kandahar. Um, so it's an air base out there, and uh, the the first wave just had taken it all over, right? We had a we had a, a POW prison out there, so it was pretty well uh, secured. And so, like, but I tell people, like, we built Tent City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we built Tent City. Like, legit, man. Like, we built fucking Tent City. We put all the stakes there. We dug out all the, you know, um, the mortar pits. We, everything. We surveyed the land for mines, the whole shebang, mm-hmm. right? And, and you've been in the middle, and the sandstorms, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no protection at the time. Like there was nothing yeah. <laughs> when we went out there, and uh, but I think that's what it made it fun, you know. Um, there was nothing established, and we established it. We established what we established. Yeah, we established the safety patrols. We established everything that we established was, or everything that was established in the future after us was was baseline off of what we brought to the table. Did you guys have a specific mission when you got there? You know, man. Um, it's funny because you don't know what you don't know, right? right? Um, so, you know, without putting operations out there, there were things that be like, okay, we're going to support Operation Fill in the Blank. It's like, huh, what is that? And you, you got something called Google some years later. You're like, oh, snap, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we sort of, we've supported a lot of stuff. Um, we supported a lot of stuff. We supported a lot. We watched a lot of stuff. Yeah. We watched a lot of stuff on our side. We watched a lot of stuff um, in her country, you know, between two other countries. We, we, we watched a lot of stuff, you know. Um, when you were, you know, I share that experience with you, but in Iraq, when you get there, there's no bases set up. You know, you just, you know, you, you, you dug a hole and slept there and you got up, moved. Um did you feel like you were in war when you got there? And if, if you didn't when you first got there, um, do you recall a time when you when you felt like, yeah, we're in fuck this is fucking we're in combat? You know, it's funny because my best friend in the Marine Corps, I mean, there's a very close knit group of people I, I hold dear, right? Maurice Harrell is one of them. And uh, you know, Maurice and I Harrell H um, in, in MOS school, we bumped heads cause we were different classes. Right. And there's that, like, you know, we're better kind of animosity kind of deal, but in the fleet, we became really tight. And when we were bunking up in, in the tents, we, there was mortar attacks, boom, 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 boom. And I'll never forget this. I will never, ever forget this, but Harold and I were the only people in our tent to grab our rifles jump out of our sleeping bag and run straight toward the motors. And then I caught a clothesline straight to the face. <laughs> and like my glasses start flying off. I'm like, oh, excuse me. I'm like, oh my God, I can't find. And Wait, like a, like a legit clothesline that was hung up? A legit clothesline. Oh, shit. <laughs> So I, I was wondering, did somebody close on you, or you ran? No, into- man, I ran right into the 550 cord. <laughs> and so there's this mortar attack, and like we're running, 
I, we have no idea if there's just flashes and I get this clothesline and I'm looking for, you know, my glasses and thing, things kind of settle down. And, uh, but, you know, years later, we're, we're talking, we talk and we tell the story. I was like, hey, man, you know, I like to know that, that there was somebody who had courage just like me. And I don't think, I don't know if I would have done it without him, but it wasn't, it was just instant reaction. But I know, I told him, I know that when shit goes down, you have the courage to go. And he goes, I know the same about you. And so I know that there were moments, right, that, um, I mean, like I said, I raised my hand, I wanted to go. I didn't know why. I didn't, you know, but I'll go to Google Earth now and I'll, I'll go to where me and another buddy, Max Lopez, we were sharing, uh, some vodka his buddy had shipped over to us in a mouthwash bottle. <laughs> but we were just two kids in the middle of the desert away from protection, right? Mm-hmm. Enjoying a drink. And you start to pan out of that on Google Earth. And you're just two kids nobody knew anything about in the middle of nowhere. And everybody else is over here, you know, watching you know, <laughs> bullshit. Bill Reese. Man, I, I, I'm like, I talk to my wife now. I'm like, she goes, yo, you didn't know. I was like, no, I was at war. <laughs> like I, there was a time of, of my life that like had nothing to do with pop culture. Yeah. You know, how much time did you spend in Afghanistan? I did 10 months out there. Um, and then, you know, I raised my hand every chance I got and, you know, I, I wanted to do everything. Um, I wanted to do amuse. I wanted to do everything. I ended up becoming a, um, uh, uh, a marksmanship instructor, eighty-five thirty-one. Nice. And so I ended up just teaching people how to shoot, and I ended up being good at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. you know, I I volunteered. I I played all Marine Corps volleyball. Uh, you know, I uh, I went to a test unit, McTessa, and and volunteered to do that. Man, I I wanted to do. I wanted to experience everything. I wanted to be a twenty-year Marine Corps veteran, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to be a lifer. Uh, I put my package in. Um, for warrant officer, uh, as I was staff select. And then, um, you know, there was, uh, and this is my transition story. Yeah. So, um, I had, uh, I'd been with my ex and we were with, uh, some friends and we went to this place called gate two and there's this, uh, famous show called the banana show. I'm sure that Anybody watching that's been there knows where, how fantastic where, it is to watch. What's that? Where at? Where were you? At? <laughs> I was in Okinawa. So, okay. so have you heard of that banana show? No. Okay. Would you like to know about the banana show? Yeah. yeah okay. Let's talk about the banana show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, essentially the banana show is this, um, it's a show that is put on by this 1,046 year old woman um, that's wearing just a palette of makeup, right? Uh, I think she actually passed away and her daughter's doing it now. Um, so she's only like 900. But it's this old chick and there's this old rinky-dinky wooden stage. And she, you have to buy a drink to get in, right? No free shows. You buy a drink, you can sit here and watch this lady give you change for a dollar out of her vagina, right? She puts a whole roll of quarters right up there. And she's like, ha ha, Right? Four quarters at a time. That's talent, right? <laughs> then she'll like play with the snake. You know, she'll do her little thing. And then like she'll put a banana in there. 
and then she'll cut it up. Boom, boom, boom. Bananas, right? Slice up a banana. Slice it. Yeah, it's it's incredible. What right? The fucking. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Wow. It's crazy that people have figured out they have talents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you even <laughs> figure out you can do that shit, right? <laughs> so, so we're 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 watching Banana Show. Uh, oh, new guys came out, right? And that's the tradition. You go and discuss them, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we were out with another couple. We were out with another pair of friends and a new guy. And long story short, uh, we go to the Banana Show, get our one drink on, go to a karaoke joint, and then um, the group I was with. Um, we're met up by another group from our shop, right? That is not so liked at that point, right? Anyway, one guy's getting out of the Marine Corps. One guy's just a knucklehead and obnoxious. People start squabbing. Big fight in this karaoke bar. Sergeant Graves, Sergeant Graves and Sergeant Etchbarn break up the fight of our own people, get everybody home uh, downstairs, and we're trying to calm everybody down right we finally calm people down start navigating traffic hey you go here this and the other i walk into the alley to go find other people there's a buddy for a etch barn and then victor uh in there victor goes somewhere with the girls the wives and uh and then um and then Mark and, and Foray are sitting there, and Foray is just, oh, you guys don't respect me, da, da, da. I mean, high emotions are going on, right? Mm-hmm. There was just this big fight, you know, a lot of adrenaline and some stuff going on. Right. We send him to his wife. I'm asking Mark, what happened, da, 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 da. Next thing you know, Mark's in the face. What? Right? I'm pulling Mark now out of this brawl. That happened out of nowhere with people we don't know. And I'm pulling him out. Now I'm getting hit. I'm protecting myself. I'm in the fight now with people we don't know. In the middle of fucking an alleyway in Gate 2 in Okinawa, Japan. Mm. It got so bad, man, where I was face down on the concrete. And somebody had their knee in my back. My arms being held out, and somebody's scraping my face into the concrete and saying, you like that motherfucker? Right? While I'm getting kicked in the head, somebody's stomping. I I get in this curled up position. I'm looking at Mark, and this chick, she's just playing hopscotch right on his face, just tearing his nose off. Got fucked up, man. Fuck. It was a horrible fucking fight. And we had just stopped the fight. Right. Right? Turns out it was an army sergeant, his wife, stomping on my buddy's face, uh, a marine, right? I guess his wife, an Air Force dude, a Navy dude. So there were seven people in this group who, one, the wife... No. The wife heard a woman scream for help. Right? Garitano, the Marine, saw a woman cry for help. And then this other gentleman, the staff sergeant, who I'll put a pin in that, and I will not name because we reconnected recently. 
<clears throat> he s- neither saw nor heard anybody, but just went over because these two drunk people had saw and heard somebody getting raped, right? Mm. That was the story. So fast forward, man, uh, we're in this big old battle. Um, you know, I have, I have now, uh, a, a, a cadaver's ligaments in my knee because of it. Um, the, the staff sergeant has a piece of his ear missing. And so I got brought in for maiming, right? I got brought in by, oh, how dare I ruin the story. So, uh, dude's getting his face stomped in. I'm getting my face kicked in. Uh, you know, my, my lady at the time, she comes over, uh, covers me up. And then I find this like Hulk manpower, like don't hit her. Right. All this crazy stuff. And then, um, the Japanese police come out and they put us in like, you know, zip ties. And the dude, the chick that was jumping on Echabarn's face is now like, just punch me in my face. And I'm laid up on the cop car who the chick punched me in the face happens to be the guy who got ear bit off. Uh, it's his wife who's got like this point like or like 1.9 BA8 BAC whatever they call it this come to find out. Here's right? getting bitten off and shit. Dude. So <clears throat> so that all happens right and uh, and it, it was bad and the JPs come out. They take me and Mark to jail. They're grilling us in the best English they possibly can. And I'm in this, like, Japanese jail. My leg's all busted. I can't, like, it, the, my cauliflower ear. Oh, my God. Anyway, Air Force police come get us, right? Because it's right outside gate two. We're like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God you're coming to get us. They, you know, we didn't know what was going on. You guys have the right to remain silent. You might not want to say anything. Well, what happened? You know, and then that's when we learned that I was being charged with rape, maiming, and aggravated assault. I was like, what? I want to talk to a lawyer, right? So we go through the process. Um, the rape charges get dropped because bullshit, right? Like mm-hmm. I was out there with my particular other and then everybody else was. And the story just got weird. It got to a point where I was just offered NJP. So if you're a civilian watching right now, NJP is essentially the, the, the same as a misdemeanor, right? I was offered NJP because I was about to pick up Staff Sergeant and they were saying, we'll give you NJP. I was like, no, no, no. I'll never pick up Staff Sergeant, right? For being charged with maiming, right? Um, and I was like, no, I, 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 I'm not going to take that. So they came back, and I'm at Tripler, Hawaii now, getting my knee looked at. Hey, they're offering maiming, or they're offering NJP with rank protection. So I'll stay as sergeant. I was like, no, I'll still get passed up. And I have this warrant officer package, and I was like, no, I will take a general court martial because I didn't do anything, mm-hmm. right? I didn't bite nobody's fucking ear off, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> and uh, so here I am, Sergeant Graves. Standing up old, mighty and true to the justice system, going into the court, get my court-martial on. And I was found guilty in this court-martial where a dude who could be my fucking cousin, Sergeant Garitano from the Marine Corps, right, said that he had somebody in a headlock 
and he was gouging their eyes out at some point. And the guy who got his ear bit off said that he doesn't know who was gouging his eyes out. He just remembers that there was a black man doing it. Mm. And that it only makes sense that it was Sergeant Graves who had him in a headlock gouging his eyes out. The judge was like, hold up, Garitano. Did you bite anybody's ear off? He said no, and that was enough to find me guilty. And a court-martial that I have appealed twice. (laughs) And here's the deal, right? Like, in my court-martial, they still gave me... um, They still allowed me to serve out my time. I never stepped foot in the brig once. They allowed me to serve out my time. I got busted. I was safe. I was looking at seven years in the brig. I got busted down to Lance Corporal and then picked Corporal back up. And then I got out of the Marine Corps for time in service, right? Honorable discharge because I couldn't make time in, time in grade, time in service. Wow. So here I am. I get out. I've got my security clearance still because I've been working in my, my – and like mind you – like, after my court martial, I still had a year and some change on, on the books, mm-hmm. right? Ten years in. So, what happened was I uh, appealed it. And it came back. They said, you never stepped foot in the brig. So, like, you've got an honorable discharge. What more do you want? Right. It's like, no, I want my fucking name clean, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I appealed it twice. And they said, look, you know, uh, basically, I'll need a... a a, um, a presidential pardon to, to clear this off. How'd you rebound off of that? So, so I got this bomb job in aerospace, right? I was working at ITT, which turned into what a lot of us know as Harris radios right now. So, um, so I was building, I was with them for about six years, but, uh, I was going through my own transition. Like I said, I was, Tapping back into my education benefits. I had just bought a house. I've gone through the VA and gotten compensated, right? And put a pin in that because I can talk about uh, veterans taking care of themselves for a long time if you let me, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I was figuring out how to take care of myself. And um, my buddies were all reaching out and saying, hey, like, how are you doing that, right? How, how are you, you know, getting appointments, I've tried that. Or how, how'd you tap into your VA home loan? I've tried that. And I, I, I was told no. I was told no. And the thing is that as veterans, okay, we have this chain of command mentality where if we're told no, then all of a sudden we're just fucking sticks in the wind, right? Mm-hmm. If you go to the VA, you're told no, just ask somebody else. Done deal, right? If you're told no like five times, maybe the answer is fucking no. But like, or maybe that person who told you no in the first place was just a person who their kids were late to school because they couldn't find their fucking socks and their you know, stepmother is nagging about how the casserole came out and they didn't have their vanilla spice latte at McDonald's today. Whatever it is, right? There's, it's just a person on the other side of this interaction that may have just had a shitty day. And believe me, the VA is full of people who have had shitty days because they deal with shitty moments. Like the fucking DMV, huh? Like <laughs> the DMV, right? <laughs> so I, I tend to tell people, like, if you're not the person that is, is able to say yes, then who is, right? Like, I'm going to navigate myself to the person who is the ultimate yes or no person. Once I hear from you, good to go, right? 
So I started advocating for my friends. I ended up having a big surgery, again, advocating for myself because the VA had said, oh man, we took an x-ray. Uh, we don't see anything. Oh man, like every time I do this, it feels like there's a, a, a fork just digging in my shoulder. Oh man, the MRI didn't show anything. Oh man, I, I'm telling you, 10 months of that bullshit. And so I'm like, hey man, something's wrong, right? They put, a, they put the dye in threw me through the MRI, they're like, oh shit, your labrum's pretty badly torn. No shit, right? Again, man, you gotta advocate for yourself. A lot mm -hmm. of people are told no, and they're like, oh, the VA's not gonna help me, mm -hmm. right? So I got that repaired, and I started, I used to joke with the wife about all my friends asking me for help that I should write a book, and I started writing a book. And I had already had kind of an insight on what I wanted to write about, and it was just about my transition, about like, me showing up to my first job and waiting for somebody to tell me I can go to chow. Nobody's telling you to go to chow. There's no bell, no, no little man's coming around saying, hey guys, it's time to go to chow, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure you take the trash out, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. Like I was, at a, I was at somebody's cubicle, you know, they're like, go see Joe. I'm sitting there, why was I at parade rest? And, you know, so like things like that, reintegrating with your family, right? We were talking about this earlier about um, how people expect you to behave. And man, I came back, people were like, oh, we miss fun Bobby. I didn't want to be fun Bobby. I wanted to be like, get my shit together, Bobby. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and it's hard to reintegrate. <clears throat> and so when I put this book out, How to Grow a Beard, right? Um, I started getting feedback. Man, had I had this three years ago, my life would be completely different. Because I go through it. I go through what it's like to have a court martial and walk through the, the life of unknowings, right? And then I heard people telling me their stories so often through reading my book. And I was like, I got to get other people's stories out here. And so I started the podcast here at the bed, right? Where I brought other people to talk about their transition stories, right? How it, were they ready? Right. Because I wasn't ready, right? I didn't want to get out. I was, a, I was a lifer. But the benefit I had... And check this, is that when I got busted down from, Lance, uh, from Staff Select to Lance Corporal, that for the next almost two years, everybody introduced me to everybody that ever came around as Sergeant Graves, even though I wore up to Corporal Chevrons, right? Mm -hmm. And it spoke a lot about like who I was and the people I was around and like the, even though the red tape says not to, and there were gunnery sergeants and shit like that, like, hey, you know, He's a, he's a corporal, right? right? Like, we all knew where it was. Mm -hmm. So, um, tangent. No, no, that's good, man. So what, <laughs> what, what, um, you know, what, what, I don't know, think of a, uh, you know, what important lessons have you learned? Like, you know, you said you studied, um, you know, psychology, uh, mentality, yeah. stuff like that. And we yeah. were talking earlier, I told you I'm infatuated with mindset and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what type of positive mindset attributes, you know, if any, did you learn from this process and everything that you've been through and to where you're at now? You know, my first day at, at USC, um, we get in this group, uh, and, and, um, tell me if I go off tangent cause I want to wrap this in there at USC, but, there's a Masters of Business for Veterans program at USC, which is a fantastic transition program um, that helps you get 
a big, you know, helping of how to run a business and to tell us that our leadership characteristics and qualities are enough, right? Mm. Anyway, um, I was at USC and our first day is that we're sitting there and we have to talk about, like, uh, we have to build guidelines collectively. And one person automatically, first thing out of his mouth was, we have to be aware of everybody's PTSD. I was like, man, like, and I had just come out. In fact, I had, my first day there, I had just come off the airplane from New York because I was interning at uh, West Point for the summer. And to make classes uh, during that August, that last month, I had to fly back and forth from New York. So this dude, I'm interning af- right after my master's degree, right? I just got my first master's in sport and performance psychology where we were sitting there learning about post-traumatic growth, Right? a whole different side of this PTSD conversation. He says, we need to be aware of everybody's PTSD. I was like, hold up. Why don't we talk about PTG, post-traumatic growth? And I think that that is the one thing that I can take from all of my experiences. For instance, Watching my mother go through the dynamics she did with my father, right? Using that story and then like pop culture, Chris Brown, right? Who says, I beat Rihanna because my father did it. Well, I will never hit my wife because my father did it, right? Mm. So like... Those moments that cause stress and disorder, there are moments that we learn from them, right? We celebrate our, our, our alive day, right? But you should only be celebrating alive days if you learn something from that, which is that you have another day that you're alive, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, from my mental training and studying and all the money that all the tax dollars that have been put into my education, the thing that I've taken the most is gratitude. That I am legitimately grateful to be alive today. Mm. Right? And we do take it for granted. And hourly, we're in traffic. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, we were talking earlier and, and uh, I wanted to put a pin in this, which is that um, we change our being with the words that we say. And so recently I've been uh, saying out loud, my wife witnessed this the other day. I was like, I create my own good days. Right. And if I can walk out of here, some asshole like comes and spills ketchup all over me because he hates my shirt and I could just really just go after him where I say, like, <laughs> I create my own good days. And it's worked for me, right? Because it reminds me that, like, man, I just go on with my day or, like, make this really bad day for either you, me, or both of us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, words are important. Gratitude's important. Words are important. 
Words are important. Words are important. Words are important. Man, I I can't, I cannot stress that more. Words are important. You know, um, I worked in the radar field. And so this gets a little woo-woo for me. Well, not for me, but for others. But I, I like to take, so how I got into the mental training world is I got there through studying hypnotherapy. So I studied hypnotherapy for a year, right? And I loved hypnotherapy because I was, I got my first, my bachelor's in psychology. So I'm here now taking the science of psychology into this world of hypnotherapy. And we're talking about Freud and the alpha waves. And I see it on the EKG. I was like, or the uh, neural tracker machine. I was like, I see science in hypnosis. And that's when I bought into it, right? I was like, I can see the guy going deeper into his REM states. I can see that happening, right? I helped people go through. And so when I bought into that, um, into that mental training process, um, and so there, there's the science behind hypnotherapy, hypnosis, right? There's the, and so I can take it even a step further and talk about how radar works, right? And this is talking about law of attraction, why I say that words are important, words are important. Because the law of attraction is what? What we say will bountifully come back to us, right? What we put onto the universe comes back to us twofold or whatever, once. That's the law of attraction. What we say will come back to us, right? Well, if you use the theory of like a radar, what's a radar do? We put out a signal, right? Just like your radio, 102.7. I want to listen to Ryan Seacrest in the morning, right? 102.7, 102.7, 102.7, 102.7. And you're not going to hear Ryan Seacrest's mouth in the morning if you're not tuned in to 102.7, right? If you're on, you know, Kevin and Bean, which is no longer Kevin and Bean at 106.7, you're going to get that because that's what's being put out and that's what you're receiving, right? You're not going to receive what you don't put out. Now, they say that energy cannot be created nor destroyed, right? However, when you have a thought... Right? When you create thought, when you create a, a mental image, your brain is creating electricity. Electricity needs to go somewhere, right? It cannot be stored inside of your brain or else it would be this glowing light bulb. It's got to go somewhere. Your thoughts have to go somewhere. Your words, your creation, your beliefs have to be in a directional area and it's got to go out, right? So the more positive we are with those words, the more gracious we are with ourselves, the more forgiving we are to ourselves, the more like demanding we are of respect and control and authority, the more we are the power people that we are meant to be in those moments and those thoughts are created, what the fuck's coming back to us? Those same thoughts. Right, And the more we buy into that, the more we push that out, and the more that we, we feed into that, that's when we start to see positive change. Because even if it's not coming back to us, at least our whole being is more positive and optimistic. Right. And I think we see that in people that you only hear miserable people talk about how miserable their lives are yeah, yeah. all the fucking time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's all they care to talk about uh, instead of uh, talking about opportunity or where they can be. Or, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I get it. I yeah. totally get that. Yeah. yeah it's powerful. Uh, wow. Um, well, shit, man. Time went by fast. <laughs> we were going to get ready to wrap it up. But, you know, 
I like to give everyone the opportunity to, you know, say any last words, man. Anything you want to get out. I mean, what you just said was fucking powerful, man. I love, like I said, I'm infatuated with, you know, mental fitness and mindset and all that. But um, any last words? You know, um, the last words I have are that I've been very involved with the VSO community, Veteran Service Organization community, for the last three years. Um, our generation, the uh, OEF, OIF, and those who follow us in the futures after us, um, it is very important for us to get involved with veteran service organizations as members. If not just members as a number currently, right, then as active members in your community or vice versa. If not as active members in your community, then please take the opportunity to be a number because, and I'll tell you why. When COVID hit and all of us were running around like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to die, right? If you're over 60, you're dead. All of our high risk, Kamala Harris's people called before she was president-elect or vice president-elect. And she's like, what's it going to do to us, right? How is this going to affect our veterans in California? And I had to crunch our numbers. If we had lost our uh, high risk veterans, 60 and above, DAV California, Disabled American Veterans, right? That's the nonprofit I work for. We would have been 80% less on membership. 80% of our membership would have been dead. And let me tell you why it's important. Because member, or our membership numbers count for legislative votes, right? It is our legislative voice on the legislative floor. And it's important because it wasn't up until 2020, last year, well, 2020, whenever that was. Last year. Right? <laughs> Uh, it wasn't up until 2020 where Vietnam veterans who served on naval ships who never stepped foot on Vietnam, who still fixed all the planes that were dropping Agent Orange and stuff like that, they weren't able to be compensated uh, because they or for their Agent Orange injuries of Vietnam mm -hmm. because they had never been considered Vietnam veterans, right? Mm -hmm. Up until legislative passed in 2020 that said, sorry about it, here you go, take what you got, right? There's guys dying of leukemia and they weren't being like considered. I mean, they were being taken care of in other ways, right? right. It wasn't like, but they weren't being compensated for what they, they weren't were being service connected Correct. and all that, yeah. And so like, you know, uh, and that goes for a lot of the legislative things. And so how I like to talk to our, our people is if you've used the GI Bill, if you've bought into the home loan, if you've taken a Band-Aid from the VA, if you've gone to a federal or state park for free, if you, if, name it, if you've benefited from being out of service as a veteran in some fashion, you owe it to the legislative process to look into membership of organizations such as the DAV, such as American Legion, such as VFW, and vets, figure it out. Mm -hmm. But um, utilize those services also like DAV to get claims work taken care of for yourself. If you're not service connected, you said, I do solemnly swear to possibly take a bullet to the face and I just so happened I didn't. You deserve something for going through all the things that you've gone through, whether it's a broken toe, a twisted ankle, or a fucking shot to the shoulder. Okay. Mm -hmm. Take care of yourself no matter what you think you rate. Because the pot is not almost empty. It's there for you because you said, I do solemnly swear. Look, there I can talk about veteran advocacy all day long. And I, I just urge anybody watching 
and for you to share the experience that, um, you know, it's important to get involved. And then in the community, it's important because now you have presence to say, hey, veterans, there's a place to come and get, you know, taken care of. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, those, you know, outside of that, man, you know, um, I used to tell vets to go to school right out of their got after they got out. Now I tell them to listen to Gary Vee for about four days straight. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot of things um, that we get wrong. And uh, what I don't want anybody to get wrong from here on out is that like we we ever stop transitioning. Yeah. Um, we it's always a transition. We'll forever be transitioning. Um, the only thing that we need to figure out is. Uh, what lessons we're going to learn to take on the next road. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we got to continue to take care of each other like we took care of each other, uh, you know, why enlisted, uh, you know, 100%, man. Hey, thanks, Robert. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you're doing now, man. Thank you for all your wise words. Raw. Fight on. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more. Red light, no